Welcome back to WWC. I'm your host, Will Wright. If this is the first time you're joining us, welcome. The First Amendment of the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights guarantees the freedom of speech. But what exactly does that mean? And that's what we're going to get into today. Does the First Amendment cover the freedom of speech or not? Is it, is it a full-blown uh, right that cannot be infringed upon? There's absolutely no uh, limits to this freedom. Or is it something a little bit more nuanced? As always, we're going to seldom affirm, never deny, and always make distinctions because distinctions are the spice of life. The United States of America is the freest nation on earth, uh, at least for the time being. And the supreme law of the land continues to be the United States Constitution. The founding document of our great nation on its own is the crowning achievement of the founding fathers. But before its ratification, 10 articles were included as amendments, and these 10 articles became known as the Bill of Rights. The first of those rights, called the First Amendment, uh, aptly named, is the following. Quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. End quote. So today, I'm, I'm seeking to provide sort of a free speech 101, the essential guide. Uh, there's many things which ought to be said in the realm of free speech, but these things that I'm going to mention are what I think of as the roots, the essence of the topic. So first, what is freedom of speech? The Constitution's First Amendment protects the nation from Congress attempting to make laws abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. And this is the cornerstone of a healthy democracy. Uh, Jeffrey Stone and Eugene Volokh, in conjunction with the National, National Constitution Center, provide a fantastic layman's version of this free, freedom. They say this, quote, Generally speaking, it means that the government may not jail, fine, or impose civil liability on people or organizations based on what they say or write, except in exceptional circumstances. End quote. And that, that last part, exceptional circumstances, as we'll see, is a very important caveat, a very good distinction. The Supreme Court has interpreted the Constitution as protecting speakers from any and all government agencies and officials. Further, speech and press refers to talking, writing, printing, broadcasting, the internet, and other forms of expressing oneself. Much to the chagrin of some, uh, Stone and Volokh also say freedom of speech also applies to symbolic expression, such as displaying flags, burning flags, wearing armbands, burning crosses, and the like. Now, whether we agree with these things or like these things, uh, that's not really what's up for discussion. The, the discussion is, are we free to engage in these activities? Can we say and do these things? So what are those exceptional circumstances? What circumstances are not covered as free speech under the First Amendment? 
The American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU, has a reputation as a fairly liberal organization, to put it mildly. Uh, However, in an article regarding free speech, the ACLU wrote this. They said, over the years, the ACLU has represented or defended individuals engaged in some truly offensive speech. We have defended the speech rights of communists, Nazis, Ku Klux Klan members, accused terrorists, pornographers, anti-LGBT activists, and flag burners. That's because the defense of freedom of speech is most necessary when the message is one most people find repulsive. Constitutional rights must apply to even the most unpopular groups if they're going to be preserved for anyone, everyone. End quote. Quite right. So when is freedom of speech not covered by the First Amendment of the Constitution? And there's really three main ways. So first, certain types of speech are considered low value to the Supreme Court and thus provide circumstances under which the First Amendment barely applies or does not apply. These are outlined with references to specific cases by Stone and Volokh. They say uh, defamation, true threats, uh, quote-unquote fighting words, uh, hardcore obscenity such as highly sexually explicit pornography, uh, child pornography, and commercial advertising, which is misleading. Uh, the second way that freedom of speech is not covered by the First Amendment is if the speaker is in a special relationship to the government they are less protected. So government employees, such as public school employees, can be restricted, even in the content of their speech. And third, the government can restrict speech under certain circumstances, which are irrespective of content. For example, restrictions on noise, blocking traffic, large distracting signs uh, are all constitutional if they are reasonable. However, a law prohibiting demonstrations in public parks or handing out leaflets on public streets would be unconstitutional. So let's move on to uh, where some of these ideas potentially came from, at least as far as the American uh, notion uh, is. So first we'll start with John Stuart Mill and what he believed about speech. So where did the American notion of freedom of speech, which we possess, uh, apparently according to the Constitution, where does that come from? Well, the lion's share of that work belongs to the British philosopher John Stuart Mill. Now, of course, this is well after uh, the Constitution was written, uh, but it's really helped kind of flesh out what does freedom of speech look like in the United States in the 20th century and beyond. So in his book uh, in 1859, On Liberty, John Stuart Mill provided a bold argument for freedom of speech. He believed in the freedom of speech to discuss any topic at all without molestation. The fullest expression of liberty in his mind was following topics of conversation to their logical limits, social niceties be damned. He did, however, hold to what is called the harm principle, H-A-R-M, harm principle, Writing on this subject, Mill says, quote, the only purpose for which power can be rightfully exercised over any member of a civilized community against his will is to prevent harm to others. Application of this principle is the subject of not a few debates. However, it's important to take note of this principle because it is the default liberal position on almost everything, 
as I would put it, well, I'm not hurting anyone. And of course, when I say liberal, I mean left, uh, leftist views. Uh, to find the most leftist positions boundaries, we need only determine, uh, as they often would say, if someone would be harmed by someone else's freedom of expression. It's important to distinguish, however, that Mill would not have argued that freedom of speech be limited simply because a person was harmed. Only when speech causes direct and clear harm should it be limited, which brings up a uh, more modern debate about whether or not words uh, actually cause harm, do us injury, uh, or whether actions, perhaps, uh, that actually hurt someone uh, cause injury. But that's another conversation for another day. So what are the critiques of, of John Stuart Mill, of uh, his work on liberty? And do they bear any merit? So the extreme liberal position of John Stuart Mill was an important contribution to the debate, debate on freedom of speech in the, early, uh, in the mid-1800s. Many topics would have remained undiscussed due to taboos and socially acceptable limits. But one important critique comes from an article in the Boston Review by Jacob Stanley in the year 2018. Stanley rightly points out that, quote, disagreement requires a shared set of presuppositions about the world. Even dueling requires agreement about the rules, end quote. So in his estimation, John Stuart Mill believed that, quote, true belief becomes knowledge only by emerging victorious from the din of argument and discussion, which must occur either with actual opponents or through internal dialogue. So Stanley therefore argues that false claims and conspiracy theories must be defended if we are to have a chance of achieving knowledge. Stanley, however, recognizes the limits of the idea of a marketplace of ideas, saying that human nature does not really allow for the truth to always prevail. This pragmatic view seems to provide a tempering of John Stuart Mill's unadulterated view of freedom of speech. We must understand our own limitations as humanity if we're to understand what freedom of speech offers us. We also cannot forget what freedom of speech requires of us, which we'll get to in a little bit later about rights and responsibilities. But first, I want to take a, a side a side road, if you will, uh, and kind of look at this idea of taking offense. So presently, hate speech, like true hate speech, and taking offense are unfortunately conflated. See, hate speech is determined based on the intention of the speaker, whereas taking offense is based on the decision of the hearer. They are not the same. In fact, sometimes a person might say something which another person takes as offensive. So let's imagine, though, that the thing which the speaker said is absolutely true. And the problem is with the hearer being out of step with the truth. So at this point, we can start analyzing whether what was said needed to be said. That's another question. Did it need to be said in that way? Uh, that they did? Did it need to be said in the circumstances that it did? Did it need to be said by that speaker to that hearer at that time? But all those questions aside, we need to dispel this myth that we have the right to not be offended. Sometimes we need to be offended. We're not perfect, not, not a single one of us. And so if a truth is given to us, we need to be receptive, even if it hurts. Oftentimes, this is how we grow. 
So it would seem that freedom of speech extends to being offensive, right? But what about offensive statements which are not based in reality and actually point to a deeper, more problematic issue under the surface? See, true hate speech causes offense more often than not, but it's not the offense which is the primary issue. Hate speech can do injustice to privacy, to equity, to security. Speech which shows a blatant disregard for the equity of people simply based on skin color or religion or sexual orientation or biological sex of male and female. These intend harm if they are done blatantly and if they're done intentionally. And this cannot be covered under freedom of speech. No one is free to threaten harm. So we need to look at the limits of freedom of speech and our God-given rights. I have no idea, no desire rather, to opine on every possible aspect of freedom of speech in which limitations might be appropriate. Instead, I want to call us back to seeing freedom of speech as a right, which necessarily is accompanied by responsibility. Here I'm going to stray into philosophy rather than legality. To be clear, I'm not going to be discussing what is constitutional or not, but rather stating what I believe is to be what I believe to be right or not. Rooted in respect for human dignity, all are called to seek the common good. And an integral part of securing the common good is protecting the basic and inalienable rights of all people. And this begins with the right to life. Mothers and fathers have a responsibility to protect, protect their children from the first moment of his or her existence to the best of their ability. And generally, the best decision is made at the local level. And so each family must make decisions for themselves and their neighbors. And these micro-communities need to serve their macro-communities. Those communities need to serve the common good of the state, then the nation, then the world. And our rights do not come primarily from the government. They begin at home. They begin with life. Ultimately, they come from God. And responsibility accompanies rights, always. So in justice, as we seek the common good, we exercise these rights, even the right to freedom of speech. But we must never lose sight of the accompanying responsibilities. Put another way, we're not given rights by the Creator to be kept for our sole use. When it comes to speech, we do not have freedom of speech so much as freedom for speech, freedom for good speech. Our rights are geared towards our duties and responsibilities. We have to use our gifts and powers well. As Pope St. John XXIII wrote well in his 1963 encyclical letter, Pacham in Terrace, he says this in paragraph 30, quote, In human society, one's man, one man's natural right gives rise to a corresponding duty in other men. The duty, that is, of recognizing and respecting that right. Every basic human right draws its authoritative force from the natural law, which confers it and attaches to it its respective duty. Hence, to claim one's rights and ignore one's duties or only half fulfill them is like building a house with one hand and tearing it down with the other. End quote. So when we speak, we do not have a license to say whatever we would like. Certainly, we have the protected right to do so in the United States under certain limitations, as we've discussed. 
But I'm arguing that we should use our freedom of speech well, use it wisely. See, by using it well, our words will have greater impact. Our well-chosen words will add social value and lift our neighbors up, perhaps draw out the greatness of others, perhaps lead them to the common good and to choosing the good in their own life. So let us build up this common house in humanity rather than tear it down. And let's begin at home and let's begin with our words. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Will Write Catholic. If this has helped you in any way and you've enjoyed it, please share this episode with your friends and family on your social media. I need your help in growing this platform. I aim to have new episodes with the written form included releasing every Monday morning at willwritecatholic.substack.com. Go there to subscribe and never miss an update directly to your email inbox. I'll also be releasing timely articles on current events uh, as they sort of come up in the news cycle and seem to beg for my opining because my opinions are phenomenal and I will exercise my free speech. Uh, I'm just kidding. My opinions are lackluster at best, but hopefully you'll find them helpful. Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But either way, I hope that it helps you make a better distinction. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen.